What's up, you guys good today? I hope so. Glad to see every last one of you. Hey, we're one church, five locations, and we love all campuses. We love them all, but we also got a bunch of people watching online. Can we give them a big old round of applause, too? Love you guys. And everybody who's in the lobby, we love you, too. Thank you for being with us. Shout out for the lobby. Everybody shout out for the lobby. Love every last one of you. So excited about all that God is doing at Shoreline City. Again, if you're with us for the first time, you're already with some people that really care about you. Happy New Year to those of you who did not come to church uh, last week because you were hungover. We are, that's the only reason I know you would miss church. That's the only reason. And know that we have Visine and we have Axe Body Spray for you anytime you want to show up at church and you don't feel like you're in your right mind. Um, it's actually not true, but that'd probably be a good idea. Let's get some Visine uh, for our church family and invite your friends, too. We, we'll let people come exactly how they are. We trust the grace of God to change and transform people into who he wants them uh, to be. We are uh, on a journey in the beginning of this year, 14 days of prayer and fasting. So if you have not jumped on this journey with us, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, there are definitely some things that I am missing, um, but I feel like I'm gaining so much more as I've gone without and said no to some things. All of us are doing different things. You got people doing um, Instagram. You got other people doing, you know, no meat. Other people uh, just juicing. You got other people doing whatever. Make sure you talk to your doctor if you have any issues, but, but we got a bunch of folks that are doing a bunch of different things and we're all trying to say God we want you to be first place in our life this is not something we're doing to try to earn God's favor okay we're not doing to say hey God I'm really religious uh, go ahead and be kind to me he's already been kind to us the cross and the empty grave is his grace extended towards us so we're not doing this to earn something from God we're doing this to surrender to position our hearts uh, more appropriately under his grace and his hand uh, so that the Holy Spirit can continue to work in us and make us into who he's called us to be. So I want you to jump on this journey. Uh, we're actually going to have a worship night on Thursday as well. So I want to encourage you to come on out. It'll be at our White Rock campus at 730. Uh, come on out. It's going to be phenomenal. We're going to have communion together. We'll have a time of prayer. Uh, it's just going to be a time for us to really focus our heads and our hearts around the truth of who God is and really push us forward in our walk with him. And we're also memorizing Luke chapter 4. Some of you might remember this from last week. We're memorizing Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And we're memorizing it in the New Living Translation uh, just because there's a particular word in there I want to make sure we all get. So memorize that passage of scripture. It has everything to do with what I feel the word for this year is that God has put on our church, and you'll hear about that uh, in February. But if you have your Bibles, you can open up to any passage of scripture you want to go to. You pick one, you go there. I'm going to keep you guys here today for hours upon hours upon hours. You're never leaving, and I'm preaching on all of the Bible. <laughs> not, not true at all. You'll be out of here in a few minutes. Um, the title of today's message is Three Simple Things. Three Simple Things. If you do have your Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, we're going to go to verse 21. And we're going to read verses 21 and 22. That's our primary text for today. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. 
Now, for those of you who have yet to be baptized, I just want to encourage you to take that step. We have them coming up here, I think, here in just maybe a week or two or something like that. Coming up here at Shoreline City, it's not you don't get baptized to be saved. You baptize because you are saved, because you've already given your life to Christ. It's a public pronouncement of your faith to the world saying, hey, I belong to Jesus. And as he was praying, as Jesus was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven. A voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my son, whom I love. And with you I am well pleased. Uh, My wife and I have three great kids. And I want to say thank you to y'all because I think some people must have prayed last week when I shared how much infighting goes on in our home. There's lots of blue on blue crime. Uh, for those of you who have read the book Extreme Ownership, uh, my kids go back and forth with each other all the time, primarily my middle and my youngest. I mean, it's like all hell is breaking loose at all times. And But this week, I don't know what happened. I am convinced you guys prayed for me. Because this past week, it was, I mean, it was heavenly. It was wonderful. Matter of fact, my kids were at the mall yesterday. My middle is holding my youngest, holding her hand. There is peace and there's joy and there's tranquility. So I'm praying for one more week. I just want one more week, Lord. One more week of that. Um, but but our, our youngest, Elle, she's four, and she is yet to be in any organized sporting activity. Zero, zilch, nada. It's not because uh, we're against sports. It's because our firstborn, we did all sports, okay? Because we learned the unwritten rules of parenting when we became a parent that you have to have your kid in everything. You have to have your kid in soccer. You have to have your kid in uh, flag football. You got to have your kid in basketball. You got to have your kid in ballet if you want to have your kid in ballet. You got to have your kid in every single thing you possibly can. You got to be at every one of those things. You better smile the entire time. That was the unwritten rule. Now the unwritten rule is when you have a child, even a matter of fact, before you have it, you got to have a party. It's a reveal party, the gender reveal party. And y'all have lost your minds with this gender reveal party. Now you got to have unicorns and cupcakes and parachuting, people parachuting in, and you got to have things bursting and slapping people. And th- I mean, you got to have all kinds of stuff in order to say, hey, we're having a boy or a girl. I'm so glad we're not pregnant or getting pregnant. Right, honey? No. We shut that party down, and it's going to take a miracle from God. It'll be like Mary, okay, if we, if we end up pregnant. So, uh, so with, with Parker, he was in everything. So El, we're like, man, we already did that. We're good. Like, we got that out of our system because you, as a parent, we were going to the YMCA and paying them $125 because we weren't members, $85 if you are a member, to take our three-year-old and to have our three-year-old run around a field at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we're supposed to be there cheering him on when he's got this coach can't coach three years old you, you, you can't if you're three years old you're not listening to a coach okay a coach can say whatever he wants to say to you you're like <laughs> I mean you're just making inappropriate noises you're eating grass you're wandering in other parts of the field you're, you're kicking other kids you're kicking the ball in the wrong goal and all of that is okay because you're three and we as parents are supposed to sit there and go ha <laughs> ha 
Yes, this is my life. Thank you, God. But, but, but the reality is I, I don't really like three-year-old soccer, uh, you know, at all. But I really like my kid. So since I like my kid, I go to three-year-old soccer. And I applaud. And my wife applauds. And that's what parents do. And that's what aunts do and uncles do and grandparents do. It's not because of the performance. It's because of the person that you're applauding. It's not because of what they've done. It's because of who they are to you that you're applauding. In this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 3, Jesus actually has not done any miracles. Zero. He has not turned the water into wine. He has not healed blind Bartimaeus. He has not touched Peter's mother-in-law and healed her of her fever. He has not helped the man with the shriveled hand. He has yet to pull the man up from the mat. Jesus has done none of these miracles. The woman with the issue of blood, he has not met yet. There has not been one miracle that Jesus has done. And yet and still, his father in heaven opens up the heavens and speaks over his son. This is my son. I love him. And with him, I'm well pleased. He's saying, just because of who you are, I love you and you're mine and I'm pleased with you. There are two times actually in the New Testament that we get the words that God spoke to Jesus. Two times. And in each of those times, do you know what's said? These words right here. You're my son. I love you. And I'm well pleased. Out of all the prayers that Jesus prayed, all the interaction that he had with his father, here are the only words that are recorded that God said back to Jesus. Maybe God's trying to get a message to your heart and mine as well. So let's look at these three things. You are my son, my daughter. This is identity. Identity. I, I, I like that he says, you are my. You are my. On, on, on August 31st, uh, 2004, at 5 a.m., a gentleman was found behind a random Burger King in Georgia, beaten and naked. No clothes, no identity, ant bites all over him. His skull busted in. The employee finds him, calls EMS. He's brought to the hospital when he awakens, he does not know who he is. We think it's just going to last for a little while, but it lasts not just a day, not just a week, not just a month. It lasts years. The, the authorities are waiting for someone to show up and say, hey, that's my son or that's my brother or that's my husband, but no one ever comes forward. One of the nurses actually takes the man in he thinks his name might be Benjamin, so that's what he tells them, and they give him the name Benjamin Doe. And for eight years, the man has no idea who he is. He is put on Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil is interviewing him, hoping that maybe someone in America will be able to identify him and say, hey, this is who this guy is. He's related to me. This is a school he went to. This is a job that he has. No one ever comes forward. The FBI takes his fingerprints. The FBI has no record of him. He is not in the database anywhere. This man has totally forgotten who he is. It's 
not till eight years later that a discovery is made and it's found out that his first name is William, his last name is not Doe, and he gets a little bit of clarity on his life, but he forgot completely who he was. When I read that story, I couldn't help but think some of us are suffering from spiritual amnesia. Some of us have forgotten who we are. We've lost our identity. We don't know who we are in Jesus. And the reality is when you don't know who you are, anyone can define you. When you don't know who you are, anything can define you. That's why some of us right now are being defined by our our brother or our sister. We're being defined by a boyfriend or a girlfriend. We're being defined by the car that we drive. We're being defined by how much money is in our bank account. We're being defined by the school that we graduated from. We're being defined based on our marital status. We're being defined by all these other things. But when you don't know your identity, of course something else is going to define you. But in this this passage scripture here, God is very, very clear, and he says, Jesus, you are mine, and I want you to know that that's what God is saying to you as well. You don't belong to yourself. You are mine, God is saying. You see, when, 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 people, when people know or think you don't know who you are, they'll put labels on you like victim. And you think, they think they're being empathetic. I'm not being empathetic. This is my humble opinion. I I think they're putting you in bondage. I think when someone puts a label on you and says, oh, you're a victim. This happened to you. Oh, let me give you this crutch for the rest of your life. They want to put you in a little pen over here, set you in it. Pat you on the head and say, there, be a good boy. There, be a good girl. We don't expect much from you because look at all that you went through. And we think, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm getting freedom. You're not getting freedom. You're getting a cage. So what you and I need to understand is that you were not made a victim in Jesus. Okay, in Jesus, you were actually made a victor. And those are two very different things. And a victim approaches life differently than a victim approaches life. And I'm not saying bad things didn't happen. I'm not saying we haven't been through hell. But my friends, do not let the hell be the thing that defines you. Let your God in heaven be the one that defines you. You are my son, my daughter. So let me tell you some of the, some of the stuff that's in your identity. Look at, look at this verse of scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. But you are a chosen people. This is not just for those in the Bible. This is for you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 10 keeps it going. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were lost, but now you're found. Once you were blind, but now you see. Once you were an orphan, now you're adopted. Because anytime God speaks something over your life, you got to get this, okay? I got to get this in my heart. You got to remember that it will always be tested. Anytime God says anything to you about your future, about your identity, about your calling, it will always be tested expect the test we keep being being surprised by tests we're like wait what what's going on here no no my friends don't be surprised this is a part of the journey 
This is a part of you graduating. This is a part of you going from the level that you're at to the level that God is calling you to. You have to go through a test in order to be able to get there. And some of these tests are life, and some of these tests come from God, and other things are coming straight from the pit of hell. Jesus had one that came straight from the pit of hell. Luke chapter 4, verse number 3. This is one chapter. One chapter after God says, you're my son. One chapter. The next chapter, Luke chapter 4, verse number 3. The devil said to Jesus, if you are, if, if you are the son of God. Wait, wait, time out. God just told me in chapter 3 that I'm his son. And here comes the devil sneaking up. Hey, if you are putting a little bit of doubt in there. I, I even appreciate the devil didn't say, you're not the son of God. He was just trying to lead Jesus down a path where he would doubt a little bit himself. And that's what the enemy does. It's a little bit of bait. A little bit of bait. Won't push you all the way. Let's put a little bit of question. Well, if you, if you are loved, they wouldn't have hurt you. If you are loved, then they would have called you back. If you are loved, then you would have been on that team. If you are loved, then you've been invited to the party. And we got this little bit of doubt. We go, wait. And end up on our own, separated, disconnected from the family of God. If you are, if you are, if you are, it will always be tested. But Jesus beat that test with the word. We'll talk about that at another time. He said it is written. That's why you and I have to know what the scriptures say about us. That's why I'm reading 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Because if you don't know it, then you might not realize that you're chosen. You might not understand you're a royal priesthood. You might not know you're a holy nation. You might not understand that you've been called to give the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light you might just think you're an everyday average old person but you're not you're a son and daughter of God it's a different way of looking I'm gonna spoil it for some of y'all but I like the new Star Wars okay I know there's some haters out there that are just poo-pooing on this Star Wars I don't know why I like it okay now, some of you are like Star Wars heads, nerds, I don't know, I don't know, Jedis, I don't know what you're called. <laughs> but just so you know, if you have a cape, you better put that thing away, okay? You better just only bring that cape out on like Halloween, because if you're like 32 and you're wearing a Star Wars cape, you're going to be single for the rest of your life. <laughs> you are. Now, you're his son, you're his daughter, but you're going to, I'm just saying, don't bring that to the party, okay? Don't bring that to the connect group. No, you can, you can, come as you are, come as you are. Come as you are. But at the end of the Star Wars movie, Ray's asked the question, who are you? She says, I'm Ray. Then the old lady says back to her, Ray who? She says, Ray Skywalker. She, she, she grabs this identity. It's like she was, she was adopted in, like we read in Romans chapter 8, verses, five, verses 15 through 17. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership. 
And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. You are my son. You are my daughter. Identity. Whom I love. This is intimacy. This, my friends, is the truth that God is actually drawn to you and I. That he has affection and love for us. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who tolerated me, who could care less about me, who pushes me aside, who ignores me. No, no, friends, who loved me and gave himself for me. This, my friends, is a picture of the intimacy that God wants to have with you and I, the love that he has for us. I get God wanting to love nature and the Grand Canyon and even like the British Virgin Islands. I've been to the British Virgin Islands. It's awesome down there, okay? Y'all looking at me a little funny. Don't uh, Listen, I'm bougie. Okay, I went down to the British Virgin Islands, and I loved every second of it. Okay, now some friends paid for us to go they paid for our trip but that's irrelevant we went down there and the shrimp was delicious the, the the seafood was wonderful i was snorkeling and yes i'm black and i can't swim i know some of y'all are judging that too and i'm a good i used to be a lifeguard too okay so boom to your stereotype so I'm snorkeling down there, looking at the barracuda, looking at the sea turtles, looking at the coral reef. I'm, it was a blast. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I remember sitting on the boat because we were on this, this little boat. It wasn't a, a yacht. It would have been cool if it was, uh, but, but it was a boat that we were in. And in the middle of the night, looking up at the stars as you're rocking a little bit. And, man, it's like the stars are singing. Even in Dallas, when you get outside the city, if you look up, you don't have like that light pollution, as they call it, and you just, you just look up, it's as if there's a melody in heaven. I mean, it's, it's just, it's majestic. I get why God would love the stars and why God would love the Grand Canyon and God would love the British Virgin Islands. But sometimes when I look at myself in the mirror, like when you look at yourself in the mirror... I don't even like me sometimes. And I know you don't like you sometimes. And now here I am saying that God loves you and you don't even like you. So you're in the mirror and I'm in the mirror like, man, dang, dang, dang. I don't know, this is weird face exercises we do. And you're looking and you're like, man, I'm 27. <laughs> I look 67. 
Don't like our nose. Don't like our cheekbones. Don't like our lips. Don't like our chin. Don't like our ears. Don't like our hairline. Don't like our hair color. Don't like... And we're looking at ourselves and we're like, man, I don't measure up. 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 And that's the self-talk that we had. That's our, that's our computer program that's going on in our brain. And then you're coming to church and you're hearing that there's a God in heaven that loves you. You know how much reprogramming has to happen in the mind for you and I to actually believe it for ourselves and not just believe it for somebody else? God here says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're my son, whom I love. You ever see a, ever see a, a pretty girl date an ugly guy? <laughs> now some of y'all looking at the person next to you, you're like... I married the bozo. I married him. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> you know, I, I know I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful that God put some blinders on her for some reason. But, but whenever you see a, like a beautiful girl, you know, with, with it's a dude that's like, man. <laughs> hey, I know we're all beautiful in God's eyes, but you're like. Must be rich. He must be rich. He must be rich. <laughs> and we think these things. We think these things. But, but the truth is, the truth is, and this is, can be for, for guys as well, but my wife tells me uh, for, for ladies, because most times or sometimes ladies are very nurturing and want to kind of pull out the best in somebody. So if a guy is like showing her some attention and she hasn't had any attention for a really long time, I don't care that you don't have any lips. <laughs> no matter to me. Now, if you don't have any lips, I want you to know again, I gotta cover everybody. You're beautiful. And I God loves you and we're for you and all that. Okay. But you're looking at this lady with this guy, but since he's showing her some attention, some time, some affection, she's willing to give her heart over to him, maybe not even just for a date, maybe again they do end up at the altar just because he kept making those investments. For whatever reason, you and I have not been able to make the, the connection that the cross is God pursuing us and that this is him showing us the ultimate attention and affection. And he's saying, son, daughter, Hey, I love you, and I wish we would respond to God like many times we respond to a DM. I wish we would respond to God like we respond to somebody that asks us out. I just wish we would, we would be willing to, to feel a little bit of that. Whoa, really? Okay. I'll go out with you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some time. And over time, you realize, man, this individual, this God of ours, didn't just, didn't just say words, but gave his life. Let me keep on going here. 
You're my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. This with you, I'm well pleased. This is inheritance. Inheritance. Identity, intimacy, and inheritance. What I'm about to tell you right now, everybody in the lobby, listen to me. Everybody in the lobby, balcony, listen, listen to me. Everybody online, listen, listen, all campuses, listen. What I'm about to say, you probably have not heard. Okay? You probably have not heard. How I'm going to read this scripture to you and the understanding that's going to come from it is probably going to be new to you. It was new to me. Now, it's not heresy at all. It's all theologically sound. As a matter of fact, one of the prince of preachers, uh, Charles Spurgeon, I was reading through one of his sermons uh, years ago, and it helped open my eyes to this truth. It was a verse of scripture I had memorized as a teenager, and I was not reading it correctly. Inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light, that your hearts, your hearts, my hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. His holy people who are his rich. Who's rich? His rich and glorious inheritance. Wait. Time out. I always read this, that God was my inheritance. But that's not what this text says. This text says, you and I are God's inheritance. Okay, I got another verse because you're like, wait, 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 wait. First Samuel chapter 10, verse number, verse number 1. This is right when, uh, right before Saul is about to be anointed king over, over Israel. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? You're telling me that we are God's inheritance? I've never received an inheritance. Uh, um, I guess I can't say I look forward to one because that means somebody has to pass away. So that would be kind of dark. But but it'd be cool to get an inheritance. It'd be cool to have someone leave a bunch of money to you or a house to you or whatever or business to you. That'd be wonderful and cool. And we get the idea of maybe God being our inheritance. Oh, my God, my life to Jesus. He is now my inheritance. We see those scriptures. But these two scriptures here are telling us something completely different. They're telling us that you and I are now what God has been waiting for. Now, I get, I get that we're sinners. I get that apart from God, we're nothing. I totally get that apart from God, we are, our righteousness is as filthy rags. I get that we are not the center. God is at the center. I get that this thing is not about us. It is about him. I get all of that. I get that we don't deserve any of the grace of God. I know those scriptures. I've seen those scriptures. I have a lot of those scriptures memorized. But I don't want to just memorize the scriptures about me being lost and broken on the side of the road And then not understand this truth as well, that even though I was lost, now in Christ I have become the inheritance of Almighty God. You're telling me that when no one else wants me, God does? 
You're telling me when other people want to walk past me, God says, that's mine. You're telling me when everybody else wants to marginalize me, God is drawing me close in Christ. You're telling me that in a world that is broken and lost and in the mirror that is shouting back at me, you don't measure up, that God is looking down from heaven saying, I want you. You are mine. As a matter of fact, you're my inheritance. Man, I don't pray like this. I'll be honest with you. I do not pray like I'm God's inheritance. I want to. I want to. But currently, I feel like too often I pray like I'm kind of at the kids' table. You know, I'm in the house, but I'm at the kids' table. It's like, shh, shh. Stay over there. Just be quiet. Don't make too much of a fuss. Let the grown-ups be grown-ups. And you just be quiet over here. And then I read verses like this. And I'm either going to keep believing lies or I'm going to step fully into the truth. So whether you're able-bodied or you have a disability, whether you're married or single, older or younger, all that stuff is really irrelevant. What it comes down to now is what your heavenly father is saying about you. He's saying, I love you. You're my son and daughter. And with you, I'm pleased. I... uh. I couldn't help but think about our earthly fathers as I was thinking about our heavenly father. And I was just wondering, what, what did your earthly father say about you? Like, what, what did your earthly father speak about your identity? Because whether or not they said something or they did something, it was all communicating some message to you. I actually asked our campus pastors, I sent them a little email, and I was asking, what, 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 what do you feel, what do you feel your father speak over your identity? And Nate, he's our campus pastor in Antigua, Guatemala. He wrote me back and he said, uh, my dad spoke over my identity, you are loved. In his latter years, he often said how proud he was of me. With his actions and words, he said that he loved spending time with me. He said that his kids were a huge portion of his calling, purpose, and ministry, and that his effect on this world would continue long after he was gone. I believe that he thought this, but, but really verbalized that I had a calling, a purpose to effect change for the kingdom of heaven. I remember that he was always really quick to apologize, which always reassured me that I could trust him. I thought maybe that might be some of your stories. You got an earthly father that just really validated you and really made your identity secure. Nate's father is now in heaven. He passed away a couple of years ago, went way earlier than any of us wish he would have, would have transitioned. But at least Nate has those memories. But others of us have different memories. Others of us have fathers that were married to our moms, 
divorced our moms, got another family. Now they're living with the other family and those kids and not living with you. You're seeing dad on the weekends. And it seems like it's communicating. You want to be with them, but you don't want to be with me. I remember preaching one time in New York uh, City at a friend's church, and my dad uh, came, and he brought my grandparents, and he was sitting in the second row. I got done preaching, and I sat down, and um, they were kind of finishing up some, some announcements, and, and my dad shouts down from the end of the row, son, Earl, Earl. Like, yeah, dad, you know, keep it down, keep it down. I'm proud of you, he says. But that's not what I felt communicated most of my life. In most of my life, I felt like I wasn't worth his time. Because I remember sitting on the doorstep, and he said he was coming, and he wouldn't show up. I remember walking to his house, and he was supposed to pick me up for school, and walking to his house only to find his car just in the driveway. And I'm like, wait, wait, where's the disconnect here? And as I'm sharing this message, there will be a collision between what your earthly father said and what your heavenly father declares and you and I empowered by the spirit have to say God I choose to believe what you said that I'm your son or daughter and you love me and you're pleased with me if you wouldn't mind bow your heads for just a moment if you're under the sound of my voice and you've never given your heart and your life to Christ, whether you're in the lobby, balcony, floor, even watching online, you're like, my heart is not in God's hands. He's not first in my life. He's not. But you're, you're, you're hearing this message today. You're saying, I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to go his way. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to do something simple, but something incredibly bold. On the count of three, I want you to respond to the grace of God and say, yes, God, you can have my heart. You can have my life. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to go your way. I don't want to be first. I want you to be first. I don't want to be my own savior. I need a savior, and his name is Jesus. If that is you here today, you've never given your heart to Christ, or at one point in time you did, and you're ready to give your heart over to him Forever and always, on the count of three, I want you just to shoot your hand in the air. One, two, three. Just put your hand in the air. You're saying, yes, that's me. I want to give my heart. I want to give my life to Christ. Friends in the balcony, come on, in the lobby, on the floor, you're saying, yes, that's me. I want to give my heart and my life to Christ. This is your moment, okay? This is God knocking on your heart. Forget about the person who's next to you. Right now, the God of heaven has his eyes on you. He is looking and he is drawing you closer right now. I'm going to ask everyone to do me a favor. Put your hand over your heart if you would not mind every person. And repeat this prayer out loud after me. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I admit I've made mistakes. And today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we lift our heads up and clap our hands with enthusiasm here, church? <laughs> 